I had to fight for my immigration. I had to fight for all my jobs. I had to fight exactly for the space I'm at. I had to fight to uh, be in Manhattan all the time. Like you fight literally being on the subway, right? Like with elbows. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was actually nicknamed a fighter a few times in different companies. Welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America, an immigrant human library where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our immigrant human library. I had to learn what group I'm in when I came here the first time. I'm like, oh, okay, so what? My skin tone means that I'm this and, you know. It's it's harder for you guys. It's amazing. Honestly, you guys are my heroes. And we didn't talk about the mom thing. Being a mom. Yes, and plus being a mom. Who's in those rooms with mostly male I mean you guys are just my superheroes I, I don't have kids yet and and I don't know how you guys do it it's amazing and um, right I'm grateful I'm for the path of... that you're opening because but you find like in cultures like uh, Japan or, or other low context cultures or high context cultures where they deliberately bring these two groups together to show that the value the experience and the innovation and the newness of thought and bring all that together. We all benefit from that. It's not that we sh- we shouldn't necessarily be competing, but it's just something about the space here where there's always, it's just groups are just always pitted against each other. It's like this scarcity mindset that I don't understand. Why? Is it capitalism, the competition, the competitiveness? What is it? It's just constantly like you, we, the winner takes all. If If you win, then that means I lose. So everybody's clawing to tear everybody down. And it's like, why can't we just like work? Can there be mutual benefit for everybody if we all That's just right. like, you so know? Generally, generally, things need to be good for me, good for you, good for the community. Otherwise, if there's one of those three that's in balance, it's not a win-win, just like you mentioned. And and so um, it requires to be very aware of our own ego. And uh, it requires... caring more about ourselves um which we're not quite there yet as a society in general um it's hard you know it's a lot of the spiritual work in a way that everybody needs to do and and uh find themselves and find that essence to to drop the mask right and you know again like the boomers went through a lot of trauma like they've known the war they were raised by people who've known the war and so you know, Gen X, I always thank Gen X, women Gen X, especially in the workplace, because they're the ones that, you know, broke the glass ceiling and are still breaking the glass ceiling. And, you know, we just had uh, a female uh, appointed as a head of the Navy, right? Um, yes, I saw so, that. So the, the amazing things happening. And, and so as millennials, you know, we don't always show our gratitude. Um, and we don't always encourage because a lot of the Gen X female leaders are also quite traumatized and they're not also, <laughs> sometimes they're not the best leaders. And and so again, that compassion needs to happen um, and that empathy needs to happen. And there's a lot of context, like you mentioned, there's a lot of context that, that just people need to, to be aware of and either teach others or, or just educate themselves on. And it's super important uh, in order to, to just raise the consciousness for everyone. And uh, you know, I, I my first internship was in Japan, in Osaka, actually. And mm-hmm. 
I got exposed to that culture quite quickly and and it was really interesting I have to say so I was there in 2007 and you know as a female what was really shocking for instance is that I had to go in the first two wagons of the subway between 7 and 9 a.m in order to not potentially be followed or you know if I go in the other extreme sexually assaulted um and that's accepted so the 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 few things you know that 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 just um oh wow yeah it was kind of like that in Mexico I lived in Mexico City for two years and the women had to go a certain part on the on the train as well because that was yeah it was kind of crazy um and that's part of my whole intrigue with comparing low versus high context cultures collectivist versus individual and the good bad and ugly from both right um but we can learn from both environments in you know the good yeah. things they're good in both and there's and there's bad in both um but yeah there's so many questions i have for you but i i do want to keep watching the time here yeah, so yeah. I'd, I'd like to ask you then like you know you've spoken a bit in and out about like your challenges and so forth in the workspace but i just wonder if you want to broadly talk about how did it work out? How did you get to U.S. citizenship? You just mentioned that, like, you know, what are some of the challenges that came along and how did you achieve that? So I've had a few visas. Uh, I've had the F1 visa, the J1 visa, uh, OPT that was linked to my F1. I had the H1B and that was the first year where it was back to a lottery system. Now it's practically impossible to get an H1B. Um, mm. I had a 50-50 chance actually to have my H1B. Um, what was a little bit painful is that I hadn't paid for the premium service. And so technically my visa eight months later after submitting it on April 1st had started and I didn't know if I had actually gotten it. <laughs> so I, it was kind of interesting. And unfortunately that year I lost my grandmother. And so I was not oh, able to leave the country to leave to my grandmother's funeral. So I think emotionally that was quite traumatizing for a young adult. Uh, I think I was 24 years old at the time. And, um, and so, you know, that, that was painful. Um, and then I think what's the most painful, and I don't know that a lot of people talk about it is, um, you know, you're very much, um, dependent on your manager and the company that's sponsoring you. So if you happen to be a bit in a semi-abusive situation where the manager just, you know, doesn't take care of you well, or just, you know, isn't a great manager and again I say that with compassion because it's hard to manage people um you're stuck because until you find another role that actually supports your Mm skill set um and and you transfer the transferring of the visa is like not easy it's you know four thousand dollars on an h1b is it's you know just like a brand new h1b um so there's a lot of trauma that goes into dealing with that because already finding jobs right now especially in this market 2023 is hard enough uh with 300,000 people that are looking for a job especially in the tech world right now specifically um and you know it's impossible to get an h1b it's just painful um so i i had it easy in a way and i can't i come from i use my british passport to uh apply for the visas because then language you know it's just easy they don't test your language so for, for that reason um and you know i have indian friends are still waiting for their green card it's been years wow. years um and 
they can't switch companies because they won't sponsor. And so, you know, the, the, it's just hard. You're looking for a job with companies that will sponsor you. So the pool is so reduced um, and you're smart, you're educated, you're a good human being. Um, and, and so you have to deal with a lot definitely as immigrants and it doesn't matter, you know, I mean, it, it's harder for Indians and Chinese, um, but, you know, I was British and it was hard too. And, and um, you know, I became a U.S. citizen after having my green card for five years and my green card was sponsored through my company, which I was very lucky, you know, to to have because a lot of companies don't sponsor green cards. Um, and uh, yeah, it was definitely a process, a lot of paperwork, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of back and forth with my lawyer, who I'm so grateful for. And I recommend to literally everybody I know. Uh, and, you know, she was based in New Jersey and I never met her in person. We just wow. spent so much time on the phone. Like we know each other very well, but uh, we've never met in person. Uh, because also, you know, lawyers, they take $400 just to answer a few questions that you might have, right? Um, and, you know, you're young, you're a student, you arrive and you don't always have that money. It's just, it's just difficult. And on top of that, as I said, like, you know, I come out from a business school and I just don't have the same opportunities as my fellow Americans. I just didn't. So the tech world adopted me and the startup world adopted me and I got to do the most epic things and build companies and build that experience that a lot of the McKinsey people didn't get because they were mostly, you know, learning how to uh, manage politics, how to build decks, how to, um, you know, do a whole bunch of things that management consultants do, whereas I was actually building companies. Um, And so that's how I gained a lot of my experience uh, building 26 entities when most people my age haven't even done one. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was a blessing in disguise, but at the same time right now, as I said, I don't have access to the bigger companies because I got pigeonholed because of my background. And so it's difficult. Right. It still is difficult today after 13 years. Wow. Yeah. Aditi spoke about that, the extent that she had to go to be like a Nobel prize level building that profile in order to get her her green card approved and the trauma that it took her not being able to reach her lawyer <laughs> and not knowing specifically how to build that profile in order for her EB1 change from one category to the next. So I, I wonder if you have, um, coming from uh, your background, are there any pressures to manage like supporting family, maybe your parents, uh, I don't know what their financial background is like. Are there any pressures to balance supporting them and other people in your family, in your community, back home? It's multi-country at this point versus your own individual desire to just succeed because this is America and you'll find some young people who, I mean, all they need to worry about is themselves. And sometimes, which it's like a double-edged sword, right? They have the freedom to pursue their own individual um, desires without having to have that responsibility of thinking about parents and supporting other people. But on the other side, you find sometimes they struggle with the drive and not having that same drive that somebody who come from a different place of responsibility might have be more driven. And so it's like a double-edged sword. So I wonder, what are there any pressures that compete with you just focusing on your individual career success versus other people who depend and look to you to be altruistic, whether financially or otherwise? 
Yeah, that's a great question. The caregiver, you know, community is definitely also <laughs> they're, they're my heroes too because I when I first started, I was uh, so I graduated when I was twenty three. Um, and I actually had my mom have to support me for another extra year, uh, which I was very grateful for again on an intern salary, you can't pay rent in Manhattan. (laughs) So, so I was young back then and, and, you know, 13 years later, my mom is not as young. And so it's, um, you know, she's healthy, thankfully, but, um, you know, you're supposed to at least in the stories that were told at some point be financially independent and support your family you know as they retire or get sick or things like that and uh and it's definitely something that's on my mind um I you know every time I see her I always you know support her as much as I can we don't see each other very often maybe and even though it's still more often than some uh, maybe anywhere between two and four times a year um it's definitely something front and center for me, especially right now. We've had a few family circumstances chain things uh, where my mom's a lot more financially exposed now uh, than she ever was. And so it, it's definitely a pressure. Um, I'm fortunate that I don't have that immediate caregiver situation. So to answer your question, you it's on my mind, just like any single kid uh, I don't have any siblings so the pressure is all on me um, but again like the universe has been very uh, kind to me in the sense that I don't have to support her 100% right now um, but it's definitely an immediate uh, an immediate threat if I may say um, in the next year or so that I might have to do that and I've been currently job searching for seven months and it's been financially difficult just for me um, and I don't have kids again like you know parents that go through what I'm going through right now it's amazing what people go through and the more you talk about it the more you hear stories that are similar to yours and so I felt quite alone in this journey this year where I got laid off in January uh, and I've been job searching very actively and again I'm very fortunate to have a network now like uh, I've worked very hard to build it but I've been here long enough to have one and uh, and especially you know um coming from the background I, I do professionally um it's not a given for everybody and and it's still a struggle so um yeah no it's definitely difficult uh and right. I imagine how others go through it and I think you know reaching out to your village is definitely the way to go and asking for help and and not being ashamed of asking for help is so important uh as immigrants as any human to be honest but as immigrants especially um because i can tell you that people all they want to do is help uh sometimes they just don't know how or they don't know when or they just don't know that you need help and just asking for help really um is a beautiful thing because it gives the opportunity to others to 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 feel good about themselves when they can and help you know um yes. so I, I i have a little story actually related to that if yes. you have some time um i am wearing an evil eye around my neck and the story of this necklace is is pretty interesting because I first arrived in New York City and when I was networking at an event, I noticed someone wearing one, just like this one. Mm-hmm. And I went up to her and I asked her, hey, are you Turkish or Greek? And uh, she happened to be Turkish from Istanbul and she was working at Colgate at the time. And she took me under her wing. I had just arrived three weeks prior to New York City and she, you know, 
passed my resume within Colgate and she taught me a few things about networking and she introduced me to people. And so I thought that was such a beautiful thing that she did for me, like really just selflessly that I wanted to be able to do the same. And sometimes it's just hard to ask for help for others. So Mm -hmm. just to have a visual cue that we're from the same background and especially Turkish people, they, they, the the community is insane they they will take you in if you're a full stranger feed you you know and and just take you in and no matter what when how like turkish people are so warm in that way and it doesn't matter where you are in the world um it's a bit different in other cultures but i happen to, to to have that example um and so having that visual cue to show others hey i have a turkish background you know, you can come ask me for anything you need uh, is something that I thought was so beautiful and it worked for me that I wanted to do it for others. And so I've been wearing this necklace for 12 years now. Uh, wow. for that I got my mom to get one f- for me uh, for my birthday uh, and uh, and I've kept it around my neck since. From Turkey. Okay, so is it is it, I don't know the what it means i've been coming across this whole evil eye thing like some people will oh. put it on their forehead and what it, what does it mean what's the background is it from turkey or like what culture is it from and what does it mean so it's that area let's say because turkey's borders have changed a lot right the ottoman empire broke down after uh the first world war so um it's that area so the greeks have it the turks have it um and it's generally to um help all the bad spirits stay away from you um so it's a bit of a superstitious thing a spiritual thing um and it just helps protect you from the the universe and uh when it breaks because generally it's made out of glass actually uh Mm -hmm. when it breaks it served its purpose and so um it's uh it's definitely a cultural thing um they call it the evil eye in English. I'm not really sure why the evil eye, because it, it, it has a tendency that the word evil just is a bit negative, right? In English. Um, yes, right. It's, it's a beautiful, positive thing in, in the culture where it brings luck. It protects you. So a lot of, um, of, uh, Middle Easterners have the evil eye in a glass circle this way. That's right above or around the door of the home. Uh, to protect the home from any harm, fires, things like that, but also to make sure that no evil person enters the house. Um, and so, yeah, it's cultural things like that. Um, right, right, right. Yeah, so I was raised Christian. This is all I know from the Caribbean. And so the UCM, my husband got me a cross. Yeah. Um, I think it's the same idea. It has a, it's a tiny little cross. Um, from the Christian tradition of, to keep evil spirits away to protect you and so forth. And, and so I guess it's the, it's the same idea, but I've been coming across a lot of people either having it on their forehead, painted somewhere, tattooed somewhere, or I, now I see it on the necklace as well, but I didn't know the, the true meaning of it behind that. So, um, but I'm wondering, have you been able to show up as your authentic immigrant self throughout? your journey here at work socially or do you feel like you've had to uh, assimilate accommodate integrate (laughs) like what what has that been like for you I think a combination so with other immigrants it's very easy to be your authentic self because they know what it's like um 
I think with Americans, um, it depends on their exposure, their cultural exposure. Um, so just like any country, people who are exposed to multiple cultures are just a bit more open, you know, to understanding. And then others who are not exposed to uh, multiple cultures are just a bit more hesitant or just, you know, more curious in a way because they just don't know. Um, it's a hard question to answer. Um, you have to know your audience. And so you have to be able to adapt but also share where you're coming from. And so mm -hmm. the balance is really hard. Let's say you're in a situation, a conversation where it's, a, I don't know, we talk about politics or religion. Um, in America, it's very different to the European system or French system, let's say, or even English system. And you want to avoid having judgment. Um and when you are faced with people who have that judgment, it's being able to say super sovereign in who you are and not get offended. Um, because you understand where they're coming from, which mean meaning they haven't been exposed to what you've been exposed. So you can't expect them to know what you know. It's like being angry with a kid who's doing something that they shouldn't be doing. You don't get angry with a kid. You just explain, hey, this is why you don't do this, right? And you yes. show that level of compassion. And it doesn't mean you have to go around treating people like kids, but it kind of does in the sense of showing a mm. lot more compassion when others don't. Um, it is super hard. It's super managing your triggers uh, and your sensitivity. And, you know, we'll fail, obviously, um, because we're all humans at the end of the day. And, you know, when people say, hey, where are you from? And I'm like, well, it's hard to answer. And then I go on a 10 minute monologue and then they just get upset or frustrated because you didn't answer their question. <laughs> and, you know, or people who, who, who say, oh, you shouldn't be sorry because I say sorry all the time being British, right? And it's kind of rude to say, don't be sorry. Like I'm allowed to be sorry, right? Um, so, so it, it's really just coming from a understanding perspective and being very intentional about that it is super key. So I, I feel like I've repeated that a few times now on this call. And, and so I always keep going back to that because that's really the solution to, for everyone to be compassionate and happy. Um, but, you know, like recently I had an argument because I said the word a few. And you? for me, a few is a more than one. Right. If you look in the Oxford Dictionary, that's what it means. Whereas in America, a few means three, which I had no idea. <laughs> so so it, it's kind of really... I didn't realize that was the general understanding, that it was three. Just like the interchange, people use couple. For me, I know it means, in my mind, it means two. But people use it to mean more... It could be more than two when they're that's speaking, right. depending on who you're talking to. But I had no idea. So people really do think it means three. Three or more. So I, I, we had a huge blowout miscommunication uh, based on that word. And so so it's just really interesting. We laugh about it after, but in the moment we're furious, right? Because it's yes. miscommunication. And so it's really about just not going there in the first place. <laughs> um, and yeah, no, it's just super interesting. It's I think everybody's doing their best to communicate with words and, and, and you know, 
if everybody put their foot forward, it's helpful. And if you know the other person's trigger, it's easy. If you don't, then exactly four pas and 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 you just literally go there and all you can do is apologize and and you know um show show some level of understanding and just move the ego away and just yeah and also right. the need to be right and control others is really a thing um and, and i think controlling others ourselves and circumstances or situations as well as you know um uh just being judgmental are things that we all need to work on so right i think in those situations it's always good to remind saying hey let's not go and blaming or being judgmental here is my circumstance or or where i'm coming from and and this is why i'm doing this and the intention is this and and showing a level of understanding i think on the receiving end is always the best way to go about it and uh, conflict's always good it's about how you resolve it right Right. Yeah, but it can be so taxing. It's very it taxing. Very relationships taxing. and communicating with people is very taxing in general. I mean, they always say marriages work. Like that's the reason. <laughs> yes, communication, communication, and um, that's what I've learned. Like you just this passive shy person that I was before. Even though I feel like I'm very direct, if I have something to say, I go right to the point. I don't sugarcoat it, but like this whole political correctness sometimes can go against people just authentically just saying what it is like if something is red just say it's red but because i'm so afraid of offending you i am afraid to actually tell you that it's red but if we until we actually communicate just say what it is then we can move the needle to say oh you know so a lot of people are a lot of time just afraid to communicate and to just speak up, you know, for whatever reason, lot, you know, repercussions, people might use it against them and, and all of, all sorts of stuff. But um, and again, like holding space is something that's important, especially for us who are direct, like holding space for others who aren't is our job. Um, and I think like being outcome focused as opposed to, you know, this is how we want things to be and how and when. Uh, you know it, it's about the person in front of you and so if they're more sensitive or more delicate or more triggered on that specific thing um, it's our job to make sure that we support them in that journey to get to where we need them to get them to and if we're faster then it's not for us to smash into them and say it so directly that it just destroys that relationship or that person and, and it, you know I think being sensitive is important I think warm-ups um my my coach has always taught me you need to warm things up to people so if sometimes you need to be direct because of a time sensitive thing you need to warm up people saying i'm really sorry i'm going to have to say this because of this reason which is we have this deadline of x uh and it might come across as a little direct but i don't mean to be insensitive it's just that i really need an answer for this reason that's like a warm up that protects the person who's going to receive whatever you're going to say next and and so i think warm-ups are really important for people who are direct like us um because then it really shows our intention as opposed to however it might land right as something i've come across that i've kind of determined just by observing as like a new person coming into this culture uh, we we are so obsessed with saving the world and saving everybody. And I use the term <laughs> that we, we can get codependent and this whole savior mentality. 
mm-hmm. that's here in the US, like we have to fix everybody. And um I don't it's very it's it's part of the collective mentality, the collective culture. You see it sometimes in our interactions with other countries and when we go abroad and right. Right. You were just expressing about the need to control and the need to do this. Yeah. That's a huge part of the collective culture. And um, I don't know how we're going to ever get away from that because it's capitalistic mindset and driving outcomes and getting to results fast. Sometimes, I don't know, it appears that you have to steamroll people in order to just get to the end result faster. I don't know. Not that that is the way that I like to operate. It just, that's my perception is still just observing people when they're leading or managing other people. Like there's no space to slow down and warm things up or. Yeah, no, I, I totally hear you. And I have to say like, um, there's a generational thing there for sure. Um, mm. I feel the younger generations are a lot more compassionate and patient they love themselves a lot more. They say no a lot, mm. uh, which is beautiful. It's super empowering. And they teach us how to say no. I think in time that will fix itself, if I may say. Um, again, because we're lucky that we're the gen- generations that did not know a war, at least in the US. And um, there's a generational thing to that, for sure. Yes. And I'm right. excited for that. Right. I, I I think I'm trying to get to the end, but I have so many other questions. Uh, so I'm just curious to know, what was it like for you dating here? Like, uh, I don't know how much you can share. You kind of alluded a little bit to it being like, you know, uh, a woman in tech, uh, an assertive woman and, and so forth. And how, how, how did that land? It's, it's been, it was interesting for me. It's a great question. I've learned a lot in the past year, even so. And I got married and divorced. You know, I'm in my early 30s. I think there are a few different layers, right? There's my immigrant story. There's um, my European background dating potential Americans or other countries. There's the fact that I was married and divorced. Um, so so there's a few different layers, right? Um, so I think what's really interesting is that I'm a strong, empowered female, which can... Um, make my masculine counterpart feel unimportant degraded sometimes emasculated given my directness and all that good stuff and so I'm going to circle back to that concept of feminine uh, energy versus masculine energy this year I've really focused on going back to my feminine energy which is a lot of my essence actually which I didn't get a chance to use I had to fight for my immigration. I had to fight for all my jobs. I had to fight exactly for the space I'm at. I had to fight to uh, be in Manhattan all the time. Like you fight literally being on the subway, right? Like with elbows. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was actually nicknamed a fighter a few times in different companies because it felt like I had something to prove. And I did have a lot to prove, you know? So what's really interesting is that when you date in America, first of all, the, a lot of the guys in America are very masculine. Uh, whereas in Europe, I feel they're a lot more in touch with that feminine aspect. And I actually like that because I have a very strong masculine energy that's that doer, that fighter, right? Um, and so for me, my homework is to actually go back to that feminine side and be able to be that nurturing and receiving, um, you know, energy that's a lot calmer um, and, and sovereign and 
hold space for that masculine energy instead of being that masculine energy. And so it really taught me to go back to that feminine essence um, and, and leave all my masculine energy for my professional career. And so that's where it's balancing me out in my life, right? It's all about work-life balance. And so I've never mm-hmm. had a work-life balance, especially as a chief of staff, you literally work 24 hours seven. That's also what, one of the reasons I, I, you know, I'm looking into going back into an executive role in operations as opposed to a chief of staff role. It, it's really like having that feminine be in a relationship with a true masculine energy and having that balance at home, but also in my own life, be able to be in that feminine, shy, relaxed. I don't have to fend for myself all the time uh, at home, but at work, I can go there and be that fighter, right? And go change the world. And so I've definitely learned a lot in the past years of dating and and just failing and uh, understand conflict management, for instance. Um, You know, it's not always me being in my masculine energy, being right and being controlling and all that stuff. It's also being like, you know what? Even if I think I'm right, that's okay. You can win this one. <laughs> um, and, and letting the other person, uh, you know, be the dominant, if I may say, and really working on that and being very sovereign in that. Because I feel a lot of the feminism movement right now, it's all about being like men, doing, you know, things like men and being in that masculine energy nonstop. And I'm like, that's not what feminism is. Yeah. Being able to be our true women and feminine energy be accepted but also be respected you know an example that I give is that when I work I actually tell people whether they're men or women that I'm on my period and so I need to you know take it easy today and I actually say it in such a nonchalant normal way that eventually they get used to it the first time they look at me like uh TMI kind of thing and I'm like did you just say that (laughs) no it's not TMI we're all women 50% of the population are on our periods once a month for roughly five days to a week it's a known fact let's talk about it yeah about the fact that we smell during that week a little bit stronger than you know what politically correct we should because we're women um i don't know if you watched the barbie movie but it's pretty accurate so um yeah it, it i think it's just about normalizing things and making it less awkward for people and as i said holding space giving permission and, and talking about things and but also letting that masculine energy be men's energy and also giving them permission to be in their feminine energy in america that's a huge problem like oh my gosh you just well, guys you've been you're just you've been in my head you're literally talking conversations that i've been having in my head like every time i see one of these women i said i've watched a documentary on the women's movement in the u.s and i say i don't understand once you become a mom, you're so blessed to be able to have recognized this now because I'm raising a daughter. But you know what I've learned? My my parents or my family blessed me with the opportunity. Yes. So I learned Spanish and French from high school. That's amazing. Had amazing opportunities to live and work abroad and ha- and now living in the U.S. and it's really developed this very masculine side of me that I've heard you voiced. And it's not until you get to marriage that you really realize just how much this could work against you as a woman, right? And I say to women, I don't understand. I love being a mother. And as women, 
our our role as mothers and giving birth and being nurturers. And so why are we out here wanting to replace men in the workplace? Because that's what I'm getting from this whole movement when I watch it sitting where I'm sitting. Mm -hmm. I say, why are we fighting and trying to replace men? What are they going to do? Are we going to send them to Venus? Because they they have to play a role in this whole dynamic unless eventually we don't want to re- recreate or re- reproduce anymore and we just want to be like women we stop having children and we just want to be in the workplace but men can't give birth so i am okay as an educated independent strong empowered woman I am totally fine being the mother, being the nurturer, being my my daughter's mom. And because I tell you that part of my personality, I have struggled allowing my husband just stepping into that mm-hmm. masculine role that he needs to play. And it's not that it's because I was so used to being turned on that left side of my brain was so used to just going to get it. Something needs to be done with the finances. I'm jumping at it because I was, I was single for a while and I had my own place and I was living the life. But when you get married and you're in a relationship, you, you can't have two leaders. I mean, I guess you can, but both of you are going to be like, you know, just like at work, if you're co, if there's a co-partner or co-lead or whatever, co-founder scope needs to be clear. Otherwise, it's a bit complicated. Right? It's the same in a marriage. It's the same in a marriage. And so for me, I'm, I find myself going back and forth and I'm saying, am I going, my husband is in tech, right? And he wants, you know, we shifted her from Montessori where the teachers were like, she's loves to dance. She's so creative. And he didn't like that. So we switched her to a STEM school okay. and she got taught robotics engineering all the stuff right and she's this very smart girl and they're like she's the smartest five-year-old we've seen whatever so he wants her and he's like you know he wants to push her down that role and yes she can but for me having gone through like the full education I've been blessed but when you develop I'm not saying not to do it right I'm not saying not to do it but I I'm just basically saying like, ladies, let's step back here. I am fine being in my, I have had to work to rebuild my feminine allure, my feminine energy. And my husband and I have had to have the conversation where I have to say, like, I have to switch off this left side of my brain where I'm just constantly like, you know, like the go-getter and making space for my husband because you have to be able to make space. Do you really expect your partner as a male who is, you know, they have more testosterone than we do. Do you expect him to be that feminine energy in the relationship? You have to also sit down and determine that. And if that's what you want, then you need to find a male who is probably a beta, a beta that's going to be that feminine to you being more the dominant masculine role. But for me, I'm happier and more aligned in my feminine energy. I really am. And I've realized that, which is why I'm doing what I'm doing now and letting go of this very left brain side of chasing this career and going to the C-suite because Yes, there's a lot. You just basically put words to a whole lot that was going on in my, with this whole women's movement and what I'm seeing playing out. I'm like, ladies, 
Like, yes, on one hand, you want to have, you want to replace men. It appears to me is what they want, but what, what role will they play? Our, our role as mothers don't go away. It doesn't go away. I mean, they can't give birth. So we're going to have to do that. I think it really is unique, though, to everyone. And that's what's um, important is not to put, you know, women in a women bucket and men in a men bucket. That's not how it works. Like the feminine and masculine energy is very unique to each. And it's really about talking about it um, and, and giving permission, as I said, like, you know, men need to feel OK to go in their feminine energy as well as being OK in their masculine energy without the toxicity um and so in order for women also who have been raised it, into being dominantly in their masculine energy that's not supernatural to them give them back the permission to be in their feminine energy but also you have women that are very naturally in their masculine energy and they're very happy that way and they prefer dating men who are in their feminine energy so just like you said it's really like talking about it being aware and seeing what works for you because it's not about the women versus man conversation. Like I keep hearing that and seeing that and it's so frustrating because it has nothing yes. to do with that. It has to do with the masculine and feminine energy within everyone. And so, um, you know, culturally, just looping back to uh, the immigration background, in France, working is not your life. You work to live your life yes. in the sense of, you know, you travel, you have like five or six weeks of vacation a year. Um, obviously, you know, from America's point of view, it's a social country. I get it. Now that I've been here for 13 years, I didn't when I first moved here. I was like, what do you mean a social country? Isn't it normal? <laughs> and, and so, you know, first when I moved here, unlimited PTO was not a thing. Uh, it came in a little bit later. It was a two week, three week PTO max. And I was like, what is this? Like you spend your life working. That's crazy. But you end your day at five, whereas in France, you end it at seven, eight or nine p.m. Right. Um, so it's kind of interesting to to see that uh, through different lenses. And, and, you know. In America, work is really, really important. Your social status as well as your self-worth is defined by what you do in your career that should probably shift <laughs> in order to um reestablish a little bit of balance um exactly for that feminine and that masculine energy to 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 just be able to coexist in a more healthy way um because you know housewives are just as successful as a tech ceo like they should never be left to feel oh you're not doing anything with your life that's Yes, that's like two generations ago. And again, that's why yes. I say the generational thing is going to bring a lot of like most Gen Zs, they don't want to come back to the office. Why? It's, you know, it, it makes no sense. You pay for commute, you spend two hours and commute. It's a waste of your time. Like the, the, the younger generations are more about seeking their true purpose in life and having an impact. Versus, you know, the older generations were taught to do a nine to five and have a job and, you know, have kids. And that was success, right? Like success is defined so differently now. Um, yes. That's what's wonderful. Wow. 
Yes. This, the, yeah. We've gone through so many deep parts of our conversation. Yeah. We could go for a few more hours, but out of respect for time, it's been yes. the, the very last thing I would say, is there anything it says success leaves clues? And I think you've been highly successful, right? You've, you've gotten to the point of getting your U.S. citizenship. You've had an amazing roles working in the, in the space. And part of it is that as first generation immigrants, prag, being pragmatic, becomes first over self-actualization. So you do what the practical is to earn the money, and then eventually you get to self-actualization. That's just the path for most of us. And so I wonder, what what do you know now that you wish you knew at the start of your journey that might be helpful to others coming or currently starting? I think reminding yourself that you have nothing to lose is the easiest way to harness the fear of being here alone, being here potentially as a woman, being a minority, is that if you fail, you go back to your home country, to your family, especially if you're young, right? Like it depends on what age you you, you come here. And what circumstance? Some people just win the green card lottery and they show up here. And I was so jealous, right? <laughs> um, and good for them. And then, you know, I I feel I did it the, the hardest possible way is I showed up and I didn't even know where I was going to sleep my first night in New York City. Um, and, and so I was roaming the streets of New York and I eventually found a Turkish jeans brand called Marvi. And I was like, oh, my God. And I went on the website and I found my first internship that way. And although they weren't going to hire a sponsor, it still helped me gain time. Right. It stopped the clock because you have 90 days to find an internship on an OPT. Otherwise, you get some help. Um, and, and, you know, it eventually gave me enough time to find my other internship that did eventually sponsor me. Um, but I think really telling yourself you have nothing to lose and harnessing some finding the way to harness that fear build your self-worth and and just go for it because it's worth it I think that's like the biggest advice I could give and asking for help is totally okay and when you have nothing to lose it's just a lot easier to ask for help (laughs) because you don't care how it looks you don't care if it looks bad you don't care if people judge you you know being able to harness fear just helps in everything you do and immigrating to us is not an easy thing to do and and uh, first of all kudos to yourself and show a lot yourself a lot of empathy um because nobody else will and really knowing your self-worth and building that love tank is super important because it's a journey and it's a marathon it's not a sprint so really being able to um tell yourself that you have nothing to lose build that self-love tank and uh and go get them and ask for help build that community and, and you know, if you're an introvert, it's hard. So finding creative ways to 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 build that village to support you because, uh, you know, going at it alone is, is not easy. So I would say priority number one, find a good lawyer. And I can definitely introduce mine. Priority number two, build that community and that village that's going to support you. And then I would say, unfortunately, number three, <laughs> find a way to harness your fear. Yeah, the pressures are amazing, I think, for a lot of people coming over and for though I that might be the hardest as you're saying right because some people their parents put a lot into the bucket to pay for them being here and they come with that burden knowing that man I can't fail you know what I mean so we recognize if you're listening to this we recognize the reality of that but thank you for sharing that thank you for sharing your time with us your story 
you Simone for having me story and my thoughts so openly and uh, thank you for giving me that platform and opportunity to do so you're very welcome and would you like to share are you you said you've been job hunting how do people get in touch with you if they want to interview you collaborate in any way connect share stories whatever how do they reach you yeah I think the easiest way is uh on LinkedIn uh if not uh definitely through my email so it's christelle.desnoya at gmail.com it's fairly easy uh c-r-y-s-t-e-l-l-e dot desnoya d-e-s-n-o-y-e-r and just a little fun fact, my last name means walnut trees. Very so my good. mom always laughs saying we're from the nut family. <laughs> Very good. Nice way to end it off with humor. It's been a pleasure sharing with you. And I'm listening to you talk and I feel like, wow, I feel so connected to you now. I'm just meeting you for the first time, but I feel so connected to you because I, I've heard your heart and I've heard your contemplation and I feel like it's, it's a lot of some of the conclusions that we you've drawn that I feel like I've been contemplating too. And I'm just like, great respect. And I, I, I do wish you the best and hope that whatever your heart's desire or whatever, whatever it is, you never know. I've been reading Eckhart Tolle in the last few years. I'm so into Eckhart. He's really like changed my spiritual perspective of just being surrendering to what life has for us so you never know it might be something greater it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be under something it could be that you need to create all the experience you've garnered it could be possibly mean that you might need to create your own and so that's where I am and I know a lot of other immigrant young ladies I'm coming across are at that point where they're like I get so motivated when I consider like putting energy into what I'm building for myself. So I'll just drop that in there for you to consider because you've had an amazing path of experience. And I can't imagine these companies telling you that you don't have enough experience with big companies. Imagine that, right? You get all the experience that you have gotten and they find a way to tell you no. The the most fun uh, little story, if I may say, is uh, it happened last week. It's a beauty company. And they told me that I was not qualified for that role because they were focused on companies or people that had worked at a hundred million dollar company that had done e-com and D2C and that were in beauty. And I said, I built a company from scratch that was in e-com and beauty. It was Herkia that was doing groundbreaking digital marketing through influencers. We were scraping Instagram when nobody was. We built an internal product that nobody had built before at the time. It was 2018. And we went from zero to 34 million and launched three countries in 18 months. And you're telling me, I don't know what I'm doing just because it's not a hundred million dollar company. Yeah. So then they're going to tell you you're not a good fit for some reason. (laughs) I think giving a chance is something that people need to do a little bit more. Everybody talks about DNI and HR right now, but. I still feel that they don't give a chance to the underdog. Right. And you may be dealing with some biases. Sadly to say, as immigrants, the part of the conversation is, I get it. You're competing. Are they going to try to hold a job for a person who's native versus giving it to somebody who is not originally from here? So, um, and sometimes that comes into play depending on who you're dealing with and do they have a friend or somebody that they want, they're holding it for. They're just going through the motions of doing the interview, but they, they already know what they're going to do. There's and definitely so, a lot of that. 
yeah there's definitely a lot of that in a way I'm fortunate like you know and I understand my privilege I'm an immigrant but I'm white and I'm a native English speaker although we've established already that the British American uh, language has huge differences and invisible differences sometimes but um, I can only imagine what people go through when they're not you know privileged in that sense it's tough yes that's another conversation for another day I won't even try to go there but thank you so much for sharing so authentically and for the time you've invested in our show and I wish you much success and if you're connected to Eugenia I just know and you're with Chief so I know those ladies are behind you and the right thing will present itself at the right time one thing I would just lend to you is just to enjoy the time. I know it's hard. It's I know it's hard being, you know, you're just wanting that next thing that's bringing in the dough and I get it. But if at all the season, if I, looking back sometimes when I had that chance, I wish somebody would have told me, try just to be present and do yeah. and enjoy that time because you, you, you know, when the next thing comes, you're going to wish that you did. Because you're going to be on the grind again. So enjoy the best that you can. Get out. I don't know. Do something different. Just enjoy the day. The right thing will present itself. I really do believe that. I do believe that. Friends, as always, please subscribe, comment, and share if you enjoyed this interview. If you're passionate about telling immigrant stories, our team is looking for help. If you're willing to help with podcast production, social media, or Patreon management, please reach out to us. You can also donate on our Patreon if it's easier for you. All the links are in the description below. Thank you. We thank our listeners around the world, and we appreciate your continued support as we build our human library. Please remember to give us a five-star review, subscribe, and share with your friends, family, and circle of influence.